you know, Edge is trying to end the Wild West of esports because it's it's the same as the Wild West was. You know, there's this big gold rush. There's all this money, and all these people are like, "How do I get involved?" But there's no regulation. There's very little stability. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Looking forward to you joining us once again this week as we discuss everything in esports. So everything in esports, that might be a bit of an overstatement. We try and chip away as much as we can. And we've got a perfect guest for it this week, Adam White, CEO and co-founder of Edge. So Edge is a company looking to digitize payments and contracts within esports. And as you heard from that beginning quote, the wild west of esports... As with anything where there's a lot of money kind of flooding in, there's a lot of issues with that when it's coming back out. So Adam talks about that. He also shares a few of his uh, perspectives as a former esports player and now as a organizer of professional esports player with London United. So we talk about the status of the industry at the moment, how esports players are currently getting paid, how that's hopefully going to be changed with technology in the future. Also talk about the future of esports, how convergence with real world sports and esports is just on the horizon and what traditional sports can learn from esports when it comes to content and fan engagement. As always, if you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch, thomas at sportstechfeed.com. We've also got show notes and some more episodes on sportstechfeed.com. But without further ado, here is Adam White talking everything esports. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed, Adam White, uh, co-founder of Edge and of London United. Yeah, thank you very much, Thomas. It's good to be here. Um, I suppose I should tell you what Edge and London United do. do I think I yeah. think that'd be good. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, um, I suppose. Edge is uh, my my day job. Uh, I'm I'm the CEO of that company. Um, we are a platform that uh, makes esports easy. Uh, and w- when I say that, w- what I mean is we help to facilitate payments and manage contracts. Um, so anyone who's listening to this and knows of the world of esports will also know of the difficulty in 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 getting players paid and because the esports industry is quite nascent and somewhat immature there's a lack of contractual stability so edge is trying to help tournament organizers and teams to deal with their back office headaches Uh, there's 2.6 billion gamers on the planet so that's a lot of payments and a lot of contracts to sign so we'll we'll dive into that in a, in a bit more detail in a second. But first of all, kind of your bona fides in, in esports, and maybe that's a point to share about what London United is. Uh, my bona fides in esports. Sorry. Yes, yes, and I'm using that term because it's a legal term, which also is a segue for you to talk about your legal background. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, right. So I, I I moved into esports in 2015 from a traditional sports background. So I was a sports lawyer for six years. I had the fortune of working with some pretty big football clubs and some big names. Um, I guess I wanted to seek a new challenge after six years of practice. I did a lot of contracts, a lot of uh, player disputes, a lot of work before the Court of Arbitration for Sport, FIFA Dispute Resolution Chamber. Um, One of the last cases I was on was uh, representing one of Lance Armstrong's doctors, a guy called Del Moral. Obviously, the case never went to trial because Lance went on to Oprah and told everyone that he did it so that it's very difficult to defend the doctor. Yeah, how does, how does that work in terms of uh, your honor? Uh, the defence rests. Uh, don't yeah. watch Oprah. We, we, I quite literally heard the case file drop out the office window and uh, there was some explicitives uh, spoken in Spanish. The law firm was in Spain that where I was working. 
Um, and so, yeah, I moved to London in 2013 and uh, decided to move out of the world of law. So I had been a lawyer for six years. I loved it. It was great. It was particularly litigation was a lot of fun. But knew I wanted to do something different. Uh, did a master's degree in business. And during that master's degree, I played about 30,000 games of Hearthstone. Uh, and I got pretty good. But I, I lost far too many times to people twice as good as me and half my age. And I thought maybe I can add more value to this ecosystem as like an esports agent. And started representing this one guy called George C, who was the UK's number one Hearthstone player at the time. Had a look at his contract and thought, oh my God, you can't sign that for two reasons. The first of which is you're 15 years of age. The second of which is it's got a load of terms that are quite pervasive and you're not going to be able to claim your salaries or your prize money or your sponsorship fees if the team decides not to pay you. And so what kind of figures are we talking about? I mean, I don't want you to uh, publicly announce um, How um, much his, his, yeah, his, his kind of details, but but roughly, like what are, what are the kind of figures we're talking about for... Because I think something in esports is it's just um, it's just number bingo. It's just throw a number at a wall and, mm. and see what it what it fits like. Yeah. But for your average mm-hmm. professional esports player, so not your average esports player, but someone who is doing it professionally in the, in the the you know the common sense of the word, getting paid for it, making a salary out of it. Right. What are we kind of looking at? Sure. Um, so I. I you <sighs> It's very difficult to give like the right answer. What, wh- why don't we look? Because every single esports title is different. Um, and that's also a bit of a misnomer. People refer to esports as this sort of collective thing. But the Call of Duty World League is very different from the Overwatch League, which is very different from how Riot structure their leagues. Yeah, it's like referring to sports, esports in the same way as sports. And it's like, well, do you play American football? That's right. That's very different from someone who does curling or lawn bowls or skis yes. you know it's 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 a whole different world so that's what you kind of refer to so call of duty for instance is a first person shooter yes so you're out there shooting the bad guys yeah and then something like league of legends is much more a kind of tactical um you know it's a, a moba a, is a what, what sorry? A moba is what it's called what's a moba uh i think it stands for massive online battle arena i i to be honest i don't i don't i don't know what moba stands for but it's a five against five um one you've got your red corner and your blue corner and the team on the bottom left is pushing towards the team of the top right and the team of the top right is pushing towards the team in the bottom left you have to kill their towers and then kill their base and the five heroes on each side are interacting with or champions in fact they're called they're interacting with um ai minions that in theory would meet in the middle of the map and and nullify themselves but due to the skill of the players and the champions interacting with those said minions you 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 get these dynamic battles and there's there's lanes where people kind of stick in the top lane the mid lane the bottom lane but i want to get back to your, your 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 question about how much people get paid so yeah, sorry, I got distracted on that no, one. But that's that's fine. some good scene setting, and then you have you know sports titles. So yes. like uh, uh, NBA Two K, for instance, which is basketball. So Correct. it's like that's all within esports. Very very different. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that you're all using a controller, but all very different. Well, yeah, and and even you say that you're all using a controller, except when you're not. Like PC and ma- uh, is mouse yeah, and sorry, keyboard. I mean, control in the terms of something to control a computer game. So right. mouse keyboard, you know, mouse keyboard. That is, some yeah. people use the Xbox, a PlayStation controller, and then you've got your racing simulation games where they have like a wheel. Um, so, uh, but but as you said, like 
you can't say how much does the average sports person get paid because an NBA athlete, a boxer, and a cricketer all get paid very different amounts of money. Um, so what I would say, say is, you know, uh, at the grassroots level, so for example, London United is a grassroots esports organization. We don't pay our players very much um, because, y you know, we'll, we'll pay them more as their profiles grow, but it would be irresponsible of us to make a decision to pay them $2,000 a month which is how much Tfue is getting paid by FaZe Clan, and he's a professional Fortnite streamer and player. Now, I think that contract by now has been renegotiated. Um, so at the upper echelon, you'll see athletes, particularly in titles like League of Legends and Dota, who are getting, which are both MOBA games. They look very similar to each other. Uh, they're getting paid millions. Um, and then at the very bottom, like the, I think the Overwatch League, they have a minimum contract of $50,000 a year. And people who are playing in the Contenders League, which is the sort of feeder division to the Overwatch League, will be getting paid probably $20,000 a year. Um, and that's only from their salaries. They obviously have auxiliary uh, revenue streams. They'll earn money from streaming itself. Often they make more money from streaming. So the biggest um, names in professional gaming are not professional gamers typically. Which is the, uh, I think, again, one of the big misunderstandings goes kind of along with esports equals sports kind of kind of analogy is yeah. uh, someone like Ninja is not a professional esports player in the in the kind of common term. He um, he didn't actually do that well at that recent um, tournament, but he's a he is a streamer, so he gets paid for that. That's right. Yeah, and so the streamers will create they're content creators, they're YouTubers, Twitch you know streamers uh, and they'll get paid in a number of different ways they'll have sponsors so ninja has big deals with red bull he used to be engaged with bud light now he's just done a big deal with adidas as well um, and they will sponsor his streams and his content so he'll be wearing their gear talking about their products the second thing is he'll get subscribed to his channel so previously when he was on twitch he would get uh, you pay $5 a month to subscribe to Ninja, which means that you can chat with him, uh, access special emojis and emoticons, uh, and, and sometimes get you know, sort of exclusive content. Uh, and the third revenue stream is donations. So like Patreon in, on Twitch, you can just donate. So I've seen streamers get 10K from you know one donation. Um, and they make a lot of money. I mean, the, the big streamers make a hell of a lot of money. Uh, and that's much more a classic commercial, you know, endorsement relationship where, so what we're going to talk about uh, next, about contracts and things like that in esports, um, that's much more clear cut. Mm. It's, it's similar to any kind of uh, influencer, brand ambassador, whatever. Correct. Here is, you know, Budweiser saying, or Adidas, for instance, with Ninja, here's X amount of money, um, wear our clothes, uh, there you go. As, yeah. long as, you, as long as you do is what you're going to say in the contract where I close at these points. Um, it doesn't kind of enter the Wild West because it's a very established, understood um, translation of things in traditional sports and media and entertainment, which mm -hmm. is kind of where all esports kind of intersects. Um, but professional esports players, what's the, the, the kind of standard um, arrangement with contracts and... Well, that's, uh, that's a good question. Uh, the, the, the short answer is there's not really a standard arrangement. Um, obviously, in the, in, when you talk about esports and p contractual stability and players getting paid, at the very highest level, that, that happens, right? You know, teams like Fnatic and, and Liquid and Cloud9 are not not paying their players. They are all paying their players. They all have in-house counsel. They all work with, uh, you know, tier one law firms. 
Um, it's kind of the rung just below that where there's a lack of harmonization and standardization. And that is for a number of reasons. So we've, we've identified eight specific reasons, but generally it's a lack of awareness. So, you know, I think w Edge is building a platform that is ready for gamers to use so they can get protected, get contracted, and, and ultimately get paid. Because having been an esports agent and, you know, helped give legal advice to some of these kids that I was um, representing and working with, I learned that, um, you know, kids don't want to talk to a lawyer. It's really boring. Uh, like, you know, I was a lawyer. I know what it's like. I don't, I don't want to talk to this guy who, you know, I don't know if he's going to be protecting my legal interests, my financial ones. How much is he going to charge me? There's a lot of suspicion around that. Um, and also just fundamentally understanding what they're doing. That's right. In terms of esports. I, I think your average profile of your lawyer wouldn't have the foggiest yeah. about what that is. They're going to be more comfortable on a golf course than they are in front of a computer. Correct. Yeah. So, and, and, and that's another thing, you know, if you can't speak their language, you know, and, and you don't know what title they're playing and the implications of that, of that, you know, genre of video game that they're playing, what their schedule is going to be like, how much they're training, then there's, you know, there's a disconnect between the, 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 the professional industry and, and what the gamers are doing, which is uh, incredible stuff in its own right. So, um, yeah, so basi basically, back to those eight reasons, that lack of sort of commercial and regulatory awareness on the gamer's side, um, and then the exploitative nature of, of esports, it's growing so quickly. There's a lot of people who are putting money into this industry. Big brands like Audi and Adidas are getting involved. Um, and, and, and concordantly, you'll, you'll sometimes have a scenario where there's prize money paid to a team and that team manager has to make the decision to withdraw that money and pay out all of his gamers fairly and appropriately in accordance with whatever contract that they may or may not have signed. And I have found in, you know, 10 years of practice, like when you give participants the option not to fulfill their contractual obligations, then sometimes they take that decision. So, you know, Edge is trying to end the Wild West of esports because it's, it's the same as the Wild West was. You know, there's this big gold rush, there's all this money and all these people are like, how do I get involved? But there's no regulation, there's very little stability. And again, I'm not, not at the top, top, top level. The top level's fine. Um, it, it, we're still applying using localized paper solutions. So lawyer, law firms and accountants rather than tech-driven products that you know, read data and allow for automated processes, which is precisely what Edge does. Um, but there, yeah, there, there, there's certainly, like if you ask anyone who's involved with eSports, what's one of the biggest problems? They're gonna tell you it's players getting paid on time or at all, and a lack of you know good governance and stability. So, what are some examples of that? So, I, I enter as a professional athlete. I enter um, either by myself or with a team. I enter a tournament. Um, they say there's you know two hundred thousand dollars prize money mm. um, for the winner, and say various bonuses for um, in-game achievements. Um, I win. I get all those achievements, and then I go to the organisers. The organisers pay me directly, pay my agent. How, how does that all flow? So, uh, in, again, the, it's, it's kind of different depending on the title. So, for example, Fortnite, you've got the Fortnite World Cup. They put $100 million up for, for prize money. And they 
distributed that in a number of different fashions. So you had the Fortnite World Cup where the winner uh, took home $3 million. Um, and then you had some smaller satellite events where people would win $1,000, $10,000, $50,000, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that was a very sort of a new experience. It was a lot about getting eyeballs. It was a big marketing activity, you know, get as many people talking and thinking and, you know, playing with Fortnite as possible. You'll then have sort of UFC style, like once off competitions, which are typically organized by a third party. So Epic are the publisher of Fortnite. They make Fortnite. Um, Sometimes the publishers of games, specifically Valve, who make Counter-Strike and Dota 2, which I mentioned previously, will outsource the esports side of their of their business to other companies like ESL or Faceit um, or Allied Esports. And those, uh, we call them third-party tournament organizers, will basically take the IP, the game, put on a show, put up some prize money and either invite teams or host qualifiers for teams to win. Um, and if they win those qualifiers, then they'll get into the, the final tournament. They play through whatever series of rounds it is, whatever format, single, single or double elimination, etc. And then effectively, whoever wins that tournament is going to raise an invoice and say, okay, like the tournament regulations said X, Y, Z, I get paid my 600K out, out of the million because I finished first. And they'll send an invoice for that. And, you know, uh, there'll be a, a traditional payment methodology. Um, what we find is that's very slow. It's very cumbersome. Um, and there's a number of things that people don't consider when you're distributing prize money. You know, you need to do KYC. You need to know the person that you're paying. Uh, you need to do anti-money laundering checks. Where's the money coming from? Um, there's certain international and fiscal obligations which people don't think about. So gamers are everywhere. If you need to pay someone who wins a tournament online in Vietnam, um, you know, what sort of tax implications are there for that transfer of money? So. What Edge is trying to do is we integrate directly with the publisher game APIs so we know when a tournament is finished, who won that match, and then we can distribute money to their bank account due to our financial API integrations as well. So effectively, uh, our code, our lines of code say, if you win X, we will pay you Y into account Z. Um, so it's highly automated. It's really fast. Uh, and, it, and it eliminates a lot of that back office nightmare because... You know, there's going to be $600 million in prize money distributed in 2022. Um, there are 2.6 billion gamers, as I said. Let's say 600 million of which are playing the top eSport titles. That's a hell of a lot of payments to make. And right now, people are using spreadsheets and traditional accounting tools when, I mean, I think they should be doing things which are slightly more digital. And, I mean, obviously, in, in something like eSports that is <laughs> completely digital, it makes sense that um, their kind of support back office support would be uh would be digital as well so what are some horror stories that you've heard right. about about contracts or payments yeah um so i don't i don't want to name too many names because i it's just not very good professional practice and i don't want to be throwing people under the bus you can you can de-identify if you'd like uh, well i think what you can or if, or if you don't want to then then go for it well Open season I think what I would encourage people to do if they're interested in reading about some horror stories is to Google eSport player contracts. But I, will, I can talk a little bit about the TFU saga because uh, I did an online commentary on, on YouTube about why that particular agreement that TFU signed in April 2018 with FaZe Clan 
is representative of the kind of issues that people will run into. So the, the, the facts are basically TFU is with this incredible team called FaZe Clan. So TFU is a player? He's a player. He's yep. a Fortnite streamer. He's the second most popular after Ninja probably. Um, and TFU is very talented, uh, very raw, you know, very Gen Z uh, or Zed. And he... Uh, has a lot of potential to become this very popular streamer. But at the time that FaZe signed him, he was not the high-profile celebrity that he is today. He was up and coming. So they took a punt on him and said, look, we're going to pay you 2,000 US dollars for, I think it's 18 months. We have a unilateral right to um, continue this contract in the event that we decide to. Um, at that $2,000 rate? Yeah, at the $2,000 rate. Right. So as he grew and became this you know, behemoth celebrity, that no longer represents a, a, a good salary for him. Now, FaZe, in good faith, tried to renegotiate with TFU and said, hey, we want to pay you more money. This isn't f the contract that you've agreed to isn't fair at this time. And I think that's another one of the things that edge contracts help with, and I don't want to continue plugging our platform, but this paper contract, you still, you, you, the parties will need to renegotiate the terms because that's just the nature of paper contracts. Whereas, wouldn't it be cool if as TFU's followers went up and his subscribers went up and his commercial revenue from sponsorship went up, the team concordantly paid him an extra amount of salary. And we can do that. We link to TFU's social accounts um, and his in-game performance. So as both of those scale up, you can put payment terms that scale accordingly. So again, a digital agreement is very dynamic and flexible. And it pulls that data automatically. So it's not... Um uh, I guess you've got hard hard statistics metrics around it that that are linked to that growth. They're they're directly integrated with the the game publisher APIs and social media APIs. So you know we 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 get the data direct from source. We're not scraping it anywhere. Um, but you know g going back to your original question, rather rather than just being an uh, an edge plug, um, there's there have been tournaments that I I specifically I was involved in a tournament in May 2018 where I encouraged 16 of the best FIFA players in the world to go and play um, FIFA at uh, Sky Sports Studios. Um, now, one of the guys uh, I, I ended up signing for, for the tournament, his, his name was Poacher, uh, he still hasn't been paid his prize money. Uh, you know, we've sent a couple of invoices for from that. From 2018. From 2018. Um, and, you know, that... The, that there was a number of issues around the tournament, uh, you know, for legal reasons. I don't really want to get into it, but, you know, I haven't been paid. Uh, the, 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 despite doing a very good job, you know, rendering the services that had been agreed, um, this, this kid, the Poacher, hasn't been paid either. Um, and, and that it w was because the tournament, you know, never went to broadcast because it wasn't organized properly. It wasn't run properly. And Twitter had a little bit of a you know, a pop at the tournament organizers for not putting on a good show. And, you know, I was certainly disappointed having just launched Edge to be putting my name to that as well. And that kind of thing happens where, you know, people are looking at esports like, holy shit, if I put this on, this is going to be big eyeballs. Like there's millions and millions of people to watch this. Well, I'll put up $25,000 for prize money. I, I just have to get a couple of kids down, hire some Xboxes. It's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, you need Wi-Fi. You need uh, licenses from the game publishers to put on the tournament legally. You need to have unlocked accounts so they have all of the characters that are available in those games to play with. In the context of FIFA, 
uh, esports is typically conducted around the ultimate team. So if you have a gamer who's playing with 99 Ronaldo, you can't just show up to a tournament and be like, well, just play with, you know, Burnley FC. That's it's it's completely different. Um, and, you know, in this instance, the tournament was organized very quickly. Like I was involved two weeks before the tournament and, and told, get us 16 players and some sponsors. We did both of which, but we didn't have time to do all the contracts and all of the, you know, the background checks. Like, are these guys going to pay us? Like, it, it, it <laughs> So that kind of thing happens. You'll also have, I, I remember I got contacted by a Fortnite streaming mom who said, hey, I've signed this agreement with this team called the Evil Cake Army. I, I have no problem calling these guys out because I don't think they exist anymore. Um, I've signed this contract. And I said, well, let me, can I have a look at the contract? And it was a one-page agreement, not signed by either party, no start date, no end date. And it basically said, we're going to pay you $1,000 more a month and more than what. Um, so I kind of said to this woman, like, look, you this is not an illegally binding agreement you you've no way of claiming your money before a court of law so just just forget it you're not going to get your money and that happens a lot like teams will get spun up and they'll sign these five kids that they think are particularly talented enter some tournament win the tournament disband the organization and go oh thanks very much for your time guys so how do you win the phoenix um teams and organizations like that how do you keep track of that how do you know that they've basically um uh, kind of have poor credit, so to speak, or, or are a bit dodgy. Um, right. Um, so there's a, there's a there's, it's a really good question. There's a few things that happen. First of which, the community in esports typically doesn't forget. So these people are spending a lot of time online. They are taking screenshots of people's Twitter accounts. Um, they're they're familiar with the charlatans that move in these spaces, and as you you know aptly call it, creating these phoenix organizations. You know, uh, from the ashes. They, they still have the same members. Um, and so Twitter doesn't forget and the community doesn't either. And then there are platforms like Edges where we, can, we have a, a database where we've basically tracked who has fulfilled their contractual obligations, who has made the payments in accordance with the said contracts, who has a good reputation. We call it like an edge score. You know, this particular team always pay their players on time, always distribute their prize money fairly. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're just an, an unbiased platform. We don't, I don't have any particular affiliation with any of these teams. So I don't mind um, saying that, hey, this particular team didn't pay out this prize money on this one, one particular instance or several instances. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, you know, it, it, again, if anyone's listening to this and curious, Google, you know, dodgy esports organizations. And you'll, there's a few that I that they're on the tip of my tongue. I'm not going to list them right now. But, uh, you know, they're just there. And, and again, these are not the tier one teams that this is not Team Liquid or Team Echo Fox there. These are people who are operating slightly below that we, we, we have right now um, a claim against a Russian team for a, a Dota 2 team. Uh, and when I say that, I mean, there's a squad of kids who have played Dota 2 together for a long time and they haven't been paid their prize money from February 2019 from an event they won like a year ago. Um, this is now January 2020. And, you know, it's very difficult for them to go to the Moscow courts and claim um, the money that they're owed. And, and indeed, despite working with these guys before, they're they're like well why do we have to pay you to to take on this case and i'm like well because 
I, I'm going to have to hire a Russian lawyer and pay court fees. And they don't, they're not really conscious of, of, of how the business operates. Um, so is that, that's a real world business disconnect from, I guess, the, the promised land of esports? Yes. Yeah, that, that big time. Like these guys are incredible at Dota 2, but they are not incredible entrepreneurs that have built their own businesses and, and or, or people that have 10 years professional experience working with KPMG or running events you know they and that's not their fault I'm not trying to throw the gamers under the bus they're in they're they're like professional athletes and how good are professional athletes at managing their finances and taxes and contracts not great that's why they have agents um, and esports will get there um, particularly with the ad- uh, adoption of platforms like edges where it feels more like a game-ready environment. And that's the whole thing. We're trying to demystify that experience for gamers. Like they, they don't want to talk to lawyers and accountants, so let's give them a platform that they can use easily. So bringing that, um, I guess, the esports, the business, the business feel, sorry, the, the esports feel to the business world. So rather than going in with a traditional kind of contract, uh, player agent, you know, lawyer going, all right, well, these people are digital natives. Mm. Um, where are they sitting on that? Let's go through a digital platform. Yes, that, and and we're trying to sort of uh, capture the, the 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 top side of the funnel, the broad side of the funnel, the gamers who might have fifty thousand Twitter followers, but and they're only earning let's say thirty thousand dollars a year. So to pay a lawyer three k to review a contract is ten percent of their earnings. They're not going to do that. Um, so we're trying to service those people. People like Ninja and Dr. Disrespect, they have loads of lawyers and agents who are brokering commercial deals for them. Um, they, you know, they, they probably have a limited company in their name, like Ninja Corp Limited, or I, I'm not sure what it would be called, but I know his wife is very active um, in the running of his day-to-day business. So those people will always have the, the professional services and, and we need those. You know, Edge is not there to replace law firms, absolutely not. It's there to assist with law firms who, are, who have too much work to be servicing people who are slightly below their pay grade. Um, and yeah, and, and you know, this whole wave has just really started. You know, Twitch has been around only since 2011, big time, you know, when Amazon, uh, Amazon acquired it in 2016. And Twitch allows for people to watch other people play video games. And so when that got injected into the world of gaming, the, the, the game changed quite literally. Like so you had, it, it became a spectator sport. Correct. That's right. And so, you know, it, it's kind of like when Sky got into the premiership and all of a sudden you had, you, you know, the English Football League was always an incredible product, but basically you could only watch it on BBC if you're watching the FA Cup final um, or if you went to the stadium. And video games, much the same, you know, y- you, if you went to Korea and went to a gaming cafe, you could watch the best StarCraft II players in the world and that'd be an unbelievable experience. But until Twitch, you didn't have any portal that was ready-made to distribute esports content. And now, you know, if you see how many, the numbers are staggering. Like more people watch the, the League of Legends 2017 championship final than the 2017 NBA finals. Uh, like the numbers are breathtaking. I've just been to China and, and, and Japan and it's like a religion over there. Everyone's gaming all the time. They're watching it. They're talking about it. And so as that culture you know, grows in age and these 17-year-olds become 27 and 37-year-olds, 
there will be professional services in and around that industry because people have grown up with esports and now it's time for it to be professional. Yeah, and I would assume as well, if you are a professional gamer, you have a lifespan on it as, as with any other um, sport. Um, Definitely. Yeah. And what, I mean, I've, I've heard, kind of heard different numbers, but mainly the reason that young kids are better at it is just purely kind of like reflexes, like the, the mental intensity that it takes, all that kind of mm. stuff. And then um, eventually you get slower, you burn out. You become old like us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like relative yeah. relative to esports e- players. Um, and sure. then I'm sure once they uh, once they top out there, they're going to go. How do I stay in the industry? Um, and then there's the opportunity for for going back in as a as a player agent. That's right. They'll they'll become player agents. They'll become guys like Frank Lampard, who's now the manager of Chelsea Football Club, or Arteta, who was an Arsenal player and is now the manager of Arsenal. Um, so they'll have those, you know, or, or they'll become franchise owners like Beckham or, or Michael Jordan. And indeed that has happened. So Nade Shot owns 100 Thieves. Nade Shot was a very successful player. Um, there's a guy called Hector who owned um, Optic Gaming. Um, and, and, you know, and, and, and interestingly enough, there's also professional athletes who are now big time invested in esports. So Rick Fox was part of Team Echo Fox for many years. He was one of the early adopters. Shaquille O'Neal has invested in NRG. Um, Steph Curry has invested in, oh gosh, I think it might be Team Solomid. Uh, Magic Johnson has invested in Team Liquid. Um, so... And, and then getting back to your, your sort of question, like when do these guys, and, and men and women and, and non-binary people as well, when do they burn out? Um, and I, the, the, I've heard a lot of things like, what's interestingly, uh, again, like every single title is slightly different. So Fortnite, the people who are playing are really young and the people who won the, the, the world finals are like 15, 16, 17, 13 years of age even sometimes. Some other titles like um, Hearthstone, which is a trading card game and is, it, it's not dependent on your reflexes, you'll have people that are slightly older. Um, typically, people who are professional poker players are good Hearthstone players. Um, and then things like Counter-Strike, which has been around since you know the mid-90s, um, those guys are a little bit older typically as well. And so the the kind of age is typically like 30 is when people start slowing down so to speak but i'm actually not sure if that's true yet because because esports is so new and because people didn't have money before in the industry when you got to 30 years of age it was kind of like hey now you need to settle down and have your wife and kids and white picket yep. fence right yep. and now get it's out, like get out of the basement with the cliches get out of your mum's basement go get a right. job and into the real world get a real yeah, job yeah and now it's like well hang on this is a real job i'm gonna make a lot more money you know playing Fortnite than i am working in walmart so maybe i'll hang around till i'm 40 years of age so i think now we'll actually see when gamers you know quote unquote burn out um i'm you know i i i think definitely your reflexes are better in your 20s um but the best gamers are not the people with the fastest reflexes. So the people who are, particularly in team games, so the people who are best at communicating large amounts of information in a very efficient uh, way to their teammates. So communications is incredibly important. Most, most games, Fortnite, Counter-Strike, League of Legends, 
Rainbow Six, you know, they'll have uh, someone who's called the IGL, which is the in-game leader. So they're kind of like your captain on the football pitch or, or the basketball court. They are relaying the information that the manager or the coach will, will, will give to the squad in terms of a strategy. So strats they refer to. Um, and those people are incredibly important. You know, you, you, you won't win if you don't have a good in-game communicator because they're telling you hey there's someone right behind you or they'll they'll know information you know counter-strike i'm sorry i'm kind of just going off on a tangent here but this is i'm really passionate about this counter-strike's really cool because the way every single map starts is both teams basically do like a strat they all move in unison that they've practiced thousands of times so counter-strike is uh it's a first person shooter it was like the original big one it's basically um what is it? Uh, so it's is, uh, terrorists versus terrorists and anti-terrorists. And anti-terrorists. There's so a it's bomb, kind of like a, a squad, like a classic um, first-person shooter squad. That's right. Five on five. Um, the the terrorists have a bomb that they have to plant, and you you either plant the bomb, and I think I don't know the timer. Let's call it a minute. The bomb is planted for a minute, and the terrorists will win, or the terrorists will kill all the anti-terrorists, or the anti-terrorists will kill all the terrorists but the terrorists have to plant the bomb if they don't do that they, they can't win the map unless they kill everyone um the other thing that's interesting about counter-strike is there's a whole in-game economy so every single round you win the amount of damage you deal represents money that you can then exchange for items in the rounds in between so anyone listening to this like if you haven't seen a counter-strike event live or on twitch watch it it is extremely compelling very intuitive very easy to understand um, and like nail biting, you know, particularly in the arenas because of the digital nature of esports, you can do spectacular production things that you can't do in traditional sports. So, what's very famous at, at events like ESL1, which is one of those UFC style once off big tournament things, um, you'll have like when the bomb is planted, the whole arena will start surging red, and when it blows up, there'll be like a big explosion and sound. And the atmosphere is electric. Like people are doing the Mexican wave. People are taking off their shirt, and, and you know, people are flossing. They're dabbing on stream. It's uh, flossing's dancing for anyone that doesn't know. <laughs> no one's out there with uh, dental hygiene products. It's <laughs> no. actually it's a it's a dance. So you kind of swing your arms back and forth. So that's right. That's Ninja um, tried to get Times Square to do it on New Year's Eve in 2020, uh, 2019. Uh, it didn't go very well. Nobody, <laughs> nobody paid attention to him. They thought, who the hell is this blue-haired dude? He, he still got paid, though. To, to, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think he, he's okay sleeping he, on his yeah, bed of money. exactly. He got his check and went on his way. Or maybe his digital payment, hopefully. Uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get Ninja on the Edge platform. That would be epic. Yeah. So Sorry, that was a bit of a tangent there. But, I mean, yeah, so Counter-Strike um, saying that in-game communicator is, is absolutely crucial, and I think that's a good segue to um, something about the growth of esports and where potential directions it goes because uh, the US Army this year just announced that instead of sponsoring the Super Bowl, which they usually do in NFL ads, mm. um, which we, you would think of US Army recruiting, hoo-ha football, mm. you know, getting some, um, you know, the muscular jocks off to, off to the Marines, yeah. um, have actually invested all of that advertising spend uh, in esports. Wow. So actually taking all that money and going, well, for the skills that we're looking for, maybe we can find it. And also that, that target audience, so obviously younger, um, uh, coming through, maybe that's, that's where we can find um, some recruits. Yeah, and you know, definitely the U.S. military and other you know, armed forces will be 
looking for those skills, you know, first person shooter games particularly, are, I, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I'm not, I'm pretty pacifist guy, so I, I'll, I'll move swiftly from the US defer Army. From that. I'll okay. defer from that, but I will talk about the, the, they're the audience of the future, right? They're the future consumers. Um, you know, I remember my mom being like, oh God, Adam, you're moving from traditional sports law to esports. Like, why don't you just do a real job? And I was like, no, no, esports is it's going to be huge. She's like, well, what do you know? What are you predicting? I'm like, I'm not predicting anything. I'm just looking at what seven to seventeen year olds are doing, and it is playing a lot of video games, talking about it, flossing with their you know their classmates at school, um, and and like you know the, the billions of kids out there that are you know I'm not I'm not addicted but just obsessed with things like Fortnite and Call of Duty and. Uh, you know the, the, these these massive sort of genre defining you know a, you know age defining um, you know culture pop movements like that that that's the future and so you'll see brands like Nike and Adidas and even Louis Vuitton and Gucci who are now all in esports because they know these are the people they want to build a relationship with. these are the people they want to have brand affinity with Mercedes Benz have been in esports for many years they've worked with ESL done some incredible sponsorship activations and some of my friends from the traditional sports world are like well what do they expect 16 year olds to buy mercedes-benz cars and i'm like no but that's not the point you know obviously if you want return on investment and you want to sell a merc you're not going to target 17 and 18 year olds but in 10 years time when there's no more people-driven cars and you have to choose which car you're going to spend your money with at, when mobility is a service well, if I've built a relationship with Mercedes-Benz via eSports from the time that I was 15 to 25, and now I'm about to jump into a car to go to a party with my friends, I'm going to take the Merc because I've built up that re relationship. And, and maintaining that aspirational um, where those, those high-end um, high brands sit, it's all about that aspirational. You know, That's yeah. what you're wanting to get, and especially if you're getting um, younger generations in, it, it's part of that. Yeah, for sure. Like... I mean, I was I was in amazed to see Fnatic do a collaboration with I think it's with Gucci, and thinking like, gosh, I I just can't imagine that gamers can afford that, but but they will be able to one day, and you know they aspire to being cool, and you know whether you think Gucci is cool or not, it's certainly an, a, a tier one brand, and uh, I mean I'm happy about it, right? I, I you know getting into esports right at sort of the right time, the crest of the wave, the money's coming in, it's becoming cool and now I suppose we're trying to make it a little bit more professional and a little bit more regulated as well. And you mentioned that and kind of that's probably a good point to wrap up on the crest of the wave. So where do you think esports is going to go from here? Have we kind of peaked in terms of the zenith and then everything will calm down or will it kind of drop off a cliff? Will it continue to steadily grow? Where where do you think um, it'll go. Um, it's a it's a great question. It's one I get asked a lot. So, um, it's not going anywhere. That's like for sure. Uh, y you know, everyone who's young plays video games these days. Everyone's got a mobile phone that is more powerful than the computer that we sent people to the moon with in the sixties. Uh, so gamers are here. And whenever you have a load of people that are playing things that have a, a, an inherently competitive nature, you're going to see leagues and teams form, as we've seen with badminton and football and soccer and tennis. 
And there's something about that competitive environment and adrenaline fix that humans love. So eSports e ain't going anywhere. Um, what I would say is that to date we've seen these sort of third-party tournament organizers uh, organizing you know unique events or once-off events or, or a small series of events now we're seeing franchise leagues which mirror kind of like the MLB and the NBA so I mean the Overwatch League the LCS which is League of Legends championship um, we've all but and 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 so that trend will continue to grow we'll have professional esports leagues uh, in parentheses but what I think we're going to see in the future, and this is not just with esports, I think we'll see this in professional sports as well, is that uh, Gen Z and millennials follow people first. They follow talent, right? People like LeBron James, and therefore their, their team becomes the Lakers. You know, borders are dissolving, so people have less of a geographic affinity to one particular team. Um, and, and where I'm going with this is that I can see things like Fortnite has run a bunch of pro amateur tournaments with like DJ Marshmallow and Ninja, professional football players. I can see more of these sort of content heavy, less esports leagues, but more about like influence and social creation. So back to that point about the difference between a professional esports player and then a influencer streamer. Yeah. Um, so it's more growth around the influencer streamer entertainment kind of sp sp traditional sports um you know athletes that that kind of that fusion of all that kind of uh i guess content yes i i think so because maybe uh, well you, you you must have seen the australian open stuff with um with all of the the pros like the the, the guys who've been around for the last 10 years serena and djokovic and nadal and and they were playing in these exhibition matches mixed doubles and friendlies and getting uh, people from the, you know, firefighters to play with them. And it got loads of views and loads of engagement. And, you know, so I, I, I suspect that traditional sports will do that as well. Like when LeBron James retires, what's to stop him from setting up some content-heavy Instagram three-on-three -three league, you know, where him and Dwayne Wade would go on the road and play with a bunch of, of people um, just to get those views and those likes and those uh, subscriptions. And I think the well, I mean, it's even where we are today. So we're in St. Louis. Um, it's the NHL All-Star Game. Yeah. You know, something like that. All-Star Games have been around for a while, but that, that's what it is. It's kind of that, that, uh, that content-heavy, um, uh, I guess, showcase. Yes. And I think esports and professional gaming or competitive gaming or, you know, however you want to refer to it, will continue to do that. The, the best organizations have been the ones that have been most successful at putting on, you know, reels of content, which is highly authentic, very engaging, uh, really interesting, you know, behind the scenes stuff. And traditional sports can learn that from esports. So FaZe Clan are great at it. Team Solomid, um, there's a kid called Myth, who is one of the original Fortnite streamers who became very popular. They have gaming houses where they produce content. A hundred thieves have got this like $30, $40 million facility where people are constantly producing video content. Which is, and, and to think of traditional sports, it'd be uh, Red Bull Media House. Yes. It's probably an excellent example of that. But they were extreme sports. Yes. Uh, and kind of action sports, which again, you could probably uh, analogize to esports. It was like, what is action sports? Well, it's very different if you're a skier, you motocross, someone like Danny McCaskill that does, um, uh, you know, uh, mountain biking kind of BMX stuff. Right. Um, but they just pumped content. And now it's, uh, 
they've built a brand out of that. Yeah, I mean, and it's no coincidence that Red Bull are one of the biggest players in esports as well. Red Bull have, uh, you know, they've they've sponsored a number of teams. They have sponsored a number of streamers with their energy drinks and what have you. Um, so yeah, that that that's what I predict the future of of esports being more content, and indeed just traditional entertainment media being lots and lots of content based on personalities, not based on these legacy vehicles that I think people are having a little bit of a disconnect with nowadays. Um, the other thing I would say is I'm really excited for. 5G and the next layer of technology. We have seen uh, content being shown on screens for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's the sort of level of innovation that like, you know, that a, a new step up the, the ladder, a new rung on the ladder that we haven't really seen that yet. So what I mean is like, if I was uh, watching the Overwatch League on Twitch is cool because you can, you, you know, you, you get to watch it for free and it's, and it's, it's, it's got the commentary and it's a very well produced show. But what's even cooler would be to watch the Overwatch League from inside the game itself. So I'm, I'm saying I don't want to watch a screen. I want the characters jumping over my head. And when we have, you know, more immersive uh, technologies and, and better latency in terms of the distribution of data, then we are going to have, I mean, the world's going to be a completely different place. Um, you know, Ready Player One, if anyone's seen Ready Player One, if you haven't, you, watch it. Like, people will live in digital environments. They won't wear physical clothes. This is an insane statistic. Apparently, teenage Americans are spending a thousand times more money on digital clothes in games like Fortnite than they are on physical clothes. And I, I can, as, as a parent of a tween, American teenager, I can, I can totally attest to that really? as well. And also, the clothes that they are wearing are from their favorite Fortnite, you know, uh, esports influencers. That's right. Yeah, and, and like, that, that's going to be a total game changer as well because people, I'm, I'm not being funny when I say this, people are going to spend a lot less time in the physical world in the next you know 50 years provided there's a physical world to live in but uh, like the, you know you'll put your headset on and you'll wear whatever you want you can dress up like a dragon you know you don't have to be a human being and i'm excited for that i mean that is going to be a complete game changer especially when you've got things like haptic suits so you can feel things uh, i did this thing called sandbox vr in hong kong and i mean when people hit you with a lightsaber you feel it and and so that that'll be a total game changer as well. And then if you can do that, then you know what sort of events will you put on in those games? And I, th you know, I, th I know we got to wrap up, but I think another thing which is going to happen with esports is, in, uh, initially you had gamers in arcades in the '80s who were seen as fat, acne-ridden, you know, not particularly cool people so to speak now i think that's a bit harsh and i don't think it's necessarily true but let's say that was a stereotype now with esports um being as competitive and 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 demanding as it is the best gamers are actually quite athletic now when we get into immersive environments and you have virtual competitions and virtual esports vr esports if you will the best gamers are going to be the best athletes you know it like if I'm doing a martial arts game, I don't want to fight against someone who looks like LeBron James. They're going to kick my ass. And, 
equally if I'm doing a first person shooter, the guys who are Navy SEALs and, and, and US Armed Forces who can run and run and run and jump in those virtual worlds are going to whoop the, you know, the, the stuffing out of you know, your nerds, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I think that's going to be cool as well. So, <laughs> a complete convergence of, um, of traditional sports and esports at, at some point. I think so. Yeah, it's especially because like some of those athletes are play. You know, Deli Ali plays more Fortnite than he does football, right? Like he, because just because of the f- time constraints and the the physical limitations True. on his body. Deli Ali uh, plays for Tottenham Hotspur. He plays for Tottenham Hotspur. Yep, so I, and look, I, ex- I don't know if he's still doing that. Uh, Premier League player. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's Sir Sir Colin Barkley as well for the New York Giants. Is um is big big Fortnite player as is well. He? Yeah. Right. Carl Anthony Towns is a very good gamer as well. James Harden is a big gamer. Um, you know, London United, one of our ambassadors is a guy called P Money, who's a grime artist. And he came to play in our Apex tryout. Uh, and, you know, he showed up and I was like, all right, man, well, you just want to get a drink and like hang out. He's like, no, nah, I want to play, bro. It? And I'm like, OK, well, let's uh, <laughs> let, let's team up you and me. And he was unbelievable, you know? So these gamers are hiding everywhere and, uh, and the convergence as gamers become cool and, mm. and it's already there, then becoming a pro gamer will be the, the dopest thing you can do. And indeed, when I tell my nephew, like, hey, I'm working in esports and, I, you know, uh, I, met, I met this guy. He's like, whoa, that's the coolest thing ever. So, Which will just be a generational shift as well because yep. it, it will be the older generations that go... Oh, you know, video games, that's that's not real sports. What are you doing? You're kind of wasting your life. And then if you can support that world, well, I'm earning a wage. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've got brand collaborations with Louis Vuitton and whoever else. That's um, right. I think those that tune will, will change. And then and then Gen Z just don't know any different. They just, they, that is just normal, normal to them. So They've grown up with a phone in their hand, haven't they? Yeah. 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 And, and like, you won't be... It, it, it would be like saying to us, you know, why do you follow the Stanley Cup? You know, that's such a waste of time. It's such an ignorant thing. Why do you care other people are good at, you know, playing why do you, why do you Why do you watch other people playing sports? It, 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 isn't it? I remember this investor who I, you know, met very early in the edge days being like, well, that's not going to be a thing because like nobody cares about watching other people play video games. I'm like, okay, do you play rugby? He's like, well, I used to. Do you watch rugby? Yeah. I do. I'm like, well, there it is, man. Like, you know, don't be so ignorant. But, you know, all of us will grow to an age where we think our kids are, are, are young and dumb. And uh, I look forward to that. That'll, that'll be fun. But I'm trying, yep. to, trying to hang on and stay cool a little <laughs> bit longer, you know. Well, <laughs> I think that's a perfect note to end it. <laughs> thanks, uh, thanks so much for your time uh, today on, on Sports Tech Feed. And looking forward to uh, hearing from you in the future. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. Uh, everyone out there, stay edgy. Have a good day. There you have it. That was Adam White from Edge Esports discussing some very interesting things around what they're doing around digitizing contracts and payments in esports, as well as overviews of the industry as a whole. As always, if you've got questions or you'd like to suggest guests, then please contact me at thomas at sportsdeckfeed.com. You can also check sportsdeckfeed.com for show notes and feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. certainly helps with spreading the word of what we're doing. Until next week, I've been your host, Thomas Alomes. Thanks for joining.